Episode 28, Digital Democracy, Blockchaining the Paris Agreement, Interview with Marco Schletz. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. This week, we speak with Marco Schletz, a research associate at Data Driven EnviroLab and an innovation fellow at the Open Earth Foundation. Marco holds a PhD from the Technical University of Denmark. It is the research for this PhD and the related publications that describes both the present and future uses of blockchain technology as a means for tackling climate change. In this episode, we delve into Marco's research on blockchain and how it can assist verification of projects addressing climate change. This spurs greater efficiency in oversight and reduces reduces transaction costs for ensuring climate change is addressed through meaningful action. The purpose of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to promote meaningful action around climate change. This is why I'm excited to have Marco on to discuss his PhD research on blockchain and the potential it holds to ensure commitments made in the Paris Agreement are fulfilled no matter where in the world the projects are. Marco and I have a long discussion on blockchain. We cover the basic concepts of what a blockchain is, why it could promote transparency, and the problems with our current financial system, which makes financial transactions costly, and why blockchain replaces our current bankers and financiers. With blockchain and cryptocurrencies, say goodbye to both expensive corporate bank headquarters and the carbon footprint produced from the core of office workers. In the first half of the episode, we discuss what blockchain is, and we stay largely with cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. In the second half, we get more grounded and discuss how blockchain can actually work to connect communities and businesses around the world. Blockchain can hold granular information so we can actually know who is making an effort to save the environment for us. So while we fly places, we also buy credits from other places to mitigate our environmental damage. A final note is don't be scared by the terminology in this episode. If you don't know what blockchain is, we hopefully explain throughout the episode what it is and how it works. Marco does a good job of breaking it down by comparing it to walking in a bar and ordering a drink. So if you know how to drink in a bar, you can understand what a blockchain is. My request to you this week is to help us spread the message of the My Energy 2050 podcast. Please share this episode on LinkedIn or Twitter. We grow by word of mouth, and the longer we do this, our message is becoming clearer. It takes dedication of personal commitment to build and deliver a cleaner energy system. So let's make this happen together. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And now for this week's episode. Marco, welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast. Thank you for having me, Michael. I'm really excited to to discuss that topic today. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm excited, but first I'm I'm more interested to start off because on your LinkedIn profile you have Earth Futurist as your title, and I really like it, and I want you to explain what, what does that mean? Great, that's, I think, a, a great question to start off with. Um, so I'm looking a bit for like a snappy title of describing who I am and what I am, and I think I'm a bit of like an exotic um, applicant of, of you, uh, combining different worlds. Um, so 
think previously I had uh, Climate Changer um, as my title. Uh, and I think Earth Futurist is kind of like the upgrade to that title. So it has two components for me that are very much interlinked. So I think on the one hand side, Earth is like a, a better term than climate, because I think we have to think about that there are a lot of systems and components that are very interconnected when we're speaking about sustainability um, as such. And yeah, Earth was a, a broader term for that. So I, that's why I went with that. Um, and then with Futurist, I wanted to kind of encourage long-term thinking um, that it is something that we have to think about the long-term and um, yeah. And then also thinking about a bit about like technology applications, innovation um, of, of these systems. So I, I hope that the, the two terms make sense together. Mm -hmm. No, it, it may make a uh, really good sense because you're in this area of blockchain technology, which is also related to finance and just finding the most efficient way to tackle bring technology innovation together to tackle climate change, which is okay. It's a present concern, but we always have to look at the future. And my, my one question related to this, do you think this better describes how career paths are going? I mean, you're just finishing your PhD now and, but you have actually quite extensive experience. So I, I encourage everyone to look at your LinkedIn profile and, and we'll get into that in a, in a minute as well. But we, we're not holding down these and you hold down, a, you have a couple different positions. So maybe we should all use a label for ourselves rather than kind of like a more formal <laughs> academic or company label. Is that the way we should describe ourselves? I, I think so. And I also see myself more like as a generalist, which who randomly brings a lot of different things together. And I think especially in this application of yeah, climate or sustainability that has a lot of components to it but then also like yeah technology and emerging technologies that's an entirely new application area so yeah i think um and i also i mean for me a lot of components randomly pieced together so there was ne never like a, a clear uh, job trajectory so i think there were like just a lot of things coming together with like a problem solution fit so it was it kind of like step by step Piece together, but it wasn't kind of like the clear job profile of something that you could study or anything, but it just kind of organically and randomly evolved over time. Mm -hmm. And then this ties into your your involvement in, in blockchain technology. And maybe you could explain how you how that came about your history of, I would say the energy sector, but we don't have to label it that way. And how did that come into being? Yeah, so um, I mean, I also should make a disclaimer that I'm not a, a real energy expert in that sense. So uh, my formal education previously was in climate policy. And, and then I started working um, for the UN through a research collaboration center, um, which is kind of like a connection between UN environment uh, program and then the Technical University of Denmark. And the idea of that collaboration center was to develop research specifically for developing countries that want to uh, develop more sustainably. Um, yeah, so I, I saw I, I had a lot of application areas through that position, which were towards yeah, kind of like low carbon development. Um, so climate finance was a component of that, then developing transparency or accounting systems. Um, but that also led to like multiple frustrations with kind of the status quo, because I think for a lot of these components, we applied the same logic for a very long time without really changing much. Um, and I think specifically when you look into the climate negotiation context, um, yeah, the Paris Agreement was something new in terms of how it was phrased. 
but the system and the logics that we're using are still kind of evolved over the last 20 years but i think there were no real changes and now we are designing systems for post 2020 and they are still kind of not reflecting the status quo like the digital world that we are currently evolving into um, and yeah, I think I never found good answers to the problems that we're currently facing. And my idea then was stumbling into blockchain, but also other emerging technologies that we should reconsider how we are approaching these problems and design new solutions. And that's kind of like how it came about then eventually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you went with blockchain to, to look at for a PhD topic, which is brave because I really liked the introduction. Uh, and we should just note that later you're... you're PhD thesis will be publicly available, probably. And, and you cite that there's limited uh, research on it and there's limited amount of literature, literature on it. So it was a brave move on, on your part, I think, to, to go with the topic because you had little to go on. And uh, why, I mean, maybe you can explain, I'm trying not to make a dumb question, but which of course there's no dumb questions, but can you explain... Um, the emergence of blockchain technologies and, and just provide even a definition of what is a blockchain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but maybe I can take a step back, kind of reflecting how I got into it. And yeah, kind of the frustration in a sense that I think um, it was in 2016, mainly that I encountered blockchain being stated in the sustainability context. And that kind of led to a frustration of me because everyone was speaking about it. Um, without really reflecting what blockchain is good at. Um, and so the first step of my PhD research was actually to reflect on the technology and understand what should it be actually used. And blockchain comes with kind of like a higher um, yeah, resource intensity and with trade-offs um, compared to like centralized data governance structures. So in order that blockchain actually makes sense, it also has to provide kind of unique benefits for a specific application and that was something that wasn't considered in the literature it was mainly like visionary papers that came out and said oh we should use blockchain for this and that um, but yeah that was kind of like the first step and then maybe that kind of i can use that as a trajectory to to define what blockchain actually is and i don't want to be too technical because i think um similar to the internet we probably both don't understand how the internet really works or at least i don't um, and I think it's not important to understand kind of like the protocols and the technology stack, but I think it, we understand what it can be used for. And it is currently used for in this format here for two people that have never met each other in real life to have a, an exchange and an interesting, hope, hopefully interesting discussion um, and share it with basically a global audience um, about a topic that, yeah, just is just on the emergence. And um, so, so reflecting on that, I think that is also something that, uh, that the blockchain focus should should be about kind of like what systems or what new proposition does blockchain enable us to do and I think there are like two broad forms of that so I think the one side is that blockchain can be used as kind of like a, a fancy accounting software so it or generally speaking blockchain is a decentralized managed uh, data management structure where um, like the ownership of the data and the information of the network is distributed um, equally or unequally over a, a larger network of actors that often are untrusting with each other. So Bitcoin, for example, which is the first application of blockchain technology, is a financial system that has never existed as such in, in history before, because it was always tied to an authority issuing 
um, or controlling kind of the monetary network. So if you look at like the fiat systems right now, um, every major currency in the world is currently issued by a central bank um, of, a, of a country. Um, whereas Bitcoin is a mathematical consensus between a network of actors that have never met each other or are only kind of bound together by mathematical code and uh, an understanding of the, the social consensus of the network. Um, so, yeah, th this this is something that, that blockchain uniquely breaks into. And then my path was kind of decoupling blockchain and cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And I think blockchain more broadly has also similar strength. So something like decentralization and accountability um, are kind of things that are always uh, yeah, connected to, to blockchain. Um, and yeah, as, as, as I said, so, so blockchain is often used as a kind of like more fancy kind of accounting mechanism now where information is processed and moderated between a network of actors. Um, that's kind of like the first broader application system. Um, and the second one is using blockchain to really um, entirely come up with innovative or radical innovation um, applications and developing new economic models or governance models where yeah, different actors are kind of aligned, um, which is more than a financial or accounting mechanism, but where it is really about kind of like how is the system effectively governed and how do new actors get connected um, with like that have never been able to connect before. Mm -hmm. And then blockchain, um, maybe we could get down to the level of like a registry is maybe that maybe we don't need to go deeper, but maybe you could explain how the connections are made between between people or institutions that are involved in a, a chain, right? There's the chain and how the registry works so that um, we understand better how the chain is formed over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, blockchain initially is is composed of two words, which is block, um, which is the component that collects all the transactions together, all the data transactions. So all new uh, transactions are covered and integrated into a new block. And then there is a, um, uh, yeah, um, an entity which is called miners in, in blockchain, uh, in, in Bitcoin context or validators more broadly that decides if this block is valid and if it should be used to append the existing chain. And the chain is the chain of all previous transactions. So this chain is kind of a complete information um, or a complete ledger of all information that has ever been processed. And then the block is added to it over time. Um, so this is broadly how blockchain um, yeah, is, is built up. And, and then, yeah, you have validators, net, network validators, and then you have network users that are the broad categories. But I think then with blockchain, it's also important to distinguish between um, publicly governed blockchains and, um, and more permissioned uh, governed blockchains. Um, so a public blockchain um, or a public permissionless blockchain, that's the correct term, is um, a network that is openly accessible to everyone who wants to participate. So basically everyone can download the, the software and run it on their computer and then use the, the blockchain network to transact, which Bitcoin, for example, enables everyone. Um, and then in contrast, a permission blockchain system is a, is a network that has more of an authority and, that, and like, that specifies who can participate in the network and also who can read the information on the network. So in Bitcoin's case, again, in a public permissionless blockchain, again, um, everyone can access every, every data that was ever 
uh, process on the network. And in the permissions, you can more specify who has access to what data and yeah, who can transact and who supports the network as a validator as, as such. Okay. And then uh, maybe we'll handle first the kind of the cryptocurrency side of things first and then move on to the more both public and private um, systems that, that you explained first right there. And, and because I wanted to kind of get out of the way first, the idea of, of cybersecurity around this. And because this goes actually to the, I would say, the importance of blockchain is how secure it is. But I, I, my, my question draws from a lot of cyber attacks, uh, for, in, for example, in the United States and organizations paying in cryptocurrencies, the, the ransom. And because for me, it seems like if you have a ledger of who has this uh, currency over time, then you can easily trace it back. So maybe you could explain both the cybersecurity aspect for this and maybe even the the benefits of anonymity in 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 currencies de, uh, based on on blockchain. Yeah, great question. Um so I think when we speak about something like Bitcoin, it's a system that is uh yeah, optimized for decentralization and security in a sense. So it's the most secure uh uh, currency network or network in general as such um, in the world. Um, and yeah, that I think, yeah, basically when we speak about cybersecurity, there is this component that it is currently used for ransom and it is also um, a big topic in the current media. Um, and I think that's, that's a bit of like an unfair framing of it um, because uh, I think when we speak about cybersecurity and you had this very interesting um, podcast episode uh, as well on the topic that um, cybersecurity is becoming kind of like a national level issue um, as such, so that you have nations that are currently engaged in in somewhat of a warfare, or at least trying to understand where are the weak, weak points in systems and um, yeah, and then trying to at least integrate into these systems so that they can understand in case of war or something, like how, where, where, how can we disrupt such systems? And I think that is something that um, we suppress a bit in the in the dis general discussion because if we just speak, oh yeah, cryptocurrencies are bad because they are used for ransomware payments, um, that shifts uh, the attention away from like the lessons that we should learn from these cybersecurity exploits. We are currently um, and our systems are not designed for withstanding this kind of um, of attack in a, in a cybersecurity. So I think, in a, in a sense, I rather see. Uh, cryptocurrencies as a as a bug find, uh, finder bounty. So I much rather have someone exploit the network now and getting Bitcoin paid for it. than at some point, if we are in a war situation, then it, it gets effectively exploited by a nation state actor. And then there is no way of kind of breaking that uh, anymore. So I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like an unfair uh, yeah, framing of it. And I think also then when we speak about cryptocurrencies, there are also like money laundering and dark market contextualizations of it. And I think criminals are always early adopters of every technology. So we had the same with smartphones or phones. We have the same with internet. And it's just um, unfair to criticize a new evolving technology for being, being used in that context. Um, and then just outside of the cryptocurrency space, um, Oh yeah, maybe to add to that also. So Bitcoin is only used in far less than 1% um, 
in, in terms of like the transaction volume uh, for illicit um, applications. So the actual application of Bitcoin is, is a very low one in, in that sense. So it's not a predominant use case. I think that is also something that is often misunderstood. Um, but to step uh, to take one step back, I think blockchains are generally like uh, system improvements in the sense of technology because um, blockchain is a decentralizing uh, uh, technology. So that means that currently, if we speak about data, for example, all of our data resides in, in kind of centralized data silos, be it kind of national service that have our identity data or be it Facebook or Amazon or who else of the tech giants, um, they all have centralized uh, systems. And these are kind of like honeypots for hackers. So if they get access, and I think basically every system has hacked up to now, um, whereas Bitcoin has never been hacked and blockchain is can be more secure. So um, by distributing the data, you make kind of like the, the potential attack surface smaller because the, the data is not aggregated in one spot that gets uh, very attractive to to be exploited, but with blockchain you can kind of um, distribute the data a lot more, and then you can have maybe smaller hacks or something. But you don't get all the data in one place, and I think that is also something that where blockchain application can make sense. And something like digital identity is um, discussed as a potential application for blockchain also going forward. So sorry, that was a very long answer, but no, I think no, 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 it was great, and and I like it. Right, it's a, it, I think the basis of the conversation today particularly is to remember right that this is a a new technology that's only a few years old and still getting the bugs worked out but still i mean it has the, gotten this tremendous of attention right from business leaders bankers uh governments are now heavily involved in it and looking at it and either and as i recall some other countries are looking at using it for their own currency or creating their own currency i think even the united states so it's yeah correct um yeah they, sorry that i'm interrupting but mm. i think that's a really interesting point so um they are called central bank digital currencies or cbdc's in short um, and to my knowledge basically every single country in the world is looking into it right now um which i think also it is a really nice way of kind of for for a government to control their currency um and i mean it is like framed as a digital currency and it's framed as a blockchain currency but i think um, you still have like a central entity, which is kind of a bit against the, the blockchain ethos in a sense that you want to do to decentralize authorship. Um, and then you also have something like, um, I think the digital yuan, who is, which is currently tested in China already. Um, and you can enforce a lot of rules on it. So for example, I think there, I, I read that um, like the currency can lose value over time if you don't spend it within like a certain specified time frame or something, or you can use it also for automatically um, deducting taxes on, on on all specified transactions. So for governments, it is a really nice way of kind of having more control over the currency. Um, and that clashes again, like with, with the ethos of something like Bitcoin, which wants to decentralize money and value out of the control of the government. So it will be interesting to see how, how that plays out. And I think there is a world or there will be a world where both exist and then um, yeah, we can see how the interplay works. But I think in a sense for an individual, it's also good to have an alternative to what what kind of like the yeah the national currency approach will be. But the benefit here, and this is why governments are looking at as as well, and it goes, I think, to, towards one of the core areas of your research is the transaction costs are reduced. And this is the 
from from my reading of your work, it seems to be like a huge benefit. And maybe you could explain why the transaction costs are lower using blockchain technologies rather than traditional currencies or financial markets. Yeah. Um, so I think this is I have specifically looked into kind of like the climate change application and then even more specifically in the carbon markets space. But I think um, like the same logic applies also in a broader context. But I think um, for me, there are basically like two um, benefits in terms of transaction costs or transaction data um, processing. Um, the first one is called digital MRV, digital monitoring, reporting and verification, which handles everything from like the data collection through verifying that the data is sound and then distributing the data to everyone who should should look at that. Um, that's the first application and automating that has huge benefits because at the moment when we are certifying that a climate action was conducted, we're still doing that mainly manually. So we have someone fly from often Europe to an African developing country to look at the project once a year and then estimating how much greenhouse gases have been saved there. And then there is a report that documents everything, but it's a very cumbersome and hard to scale process as well. I mean, if, especially if you want to ramp up climate action, we, I, I, in my understanding, um, and I have looked very much into it, these systems are way too limited to be able to deal with what we need in order to comply with our climate targets. Um, so yeah, scalability and then also reducing the transaction costs and making better data available. Um, that is what, what we need to achieve. And that's um, where I see blockchain um, as a technology stack coming in. And it's not only blockchain, but it's also IoT devices like sensors that can document the energy production, for example, or we are also looking at satellite data where you can look at deforestation cover. And then there are a lot of other data sources where you can use kind of big data sets or automated data sets to derive data from. Um, and then the second component would be machine learning or AI so that if we have a lot of data, we can compare data between systems. And through that, we can validate and verify a lot easier because we can see, oh, this project in a similar region has has uh, created so much um, certificates or carbon credits. Um, so we can expect, we can model from there that probably this project has something as well. And if that doesn't add up, we can check and we have a lot more comparability and yeah, the, the verification gets easier and cheaper. And then blockchain kind of like as a dissemination platform, again, or data processing so that certificates can be automatically awarded for the climate action and then also be automatically integrated into national accounting systems or the international and broad climate um, yeah, uh, area so that yeah, we can we can have that data available for everyone. And that's kind of also the trajectory into the second benefit of blockchain. Um, so using yeah, uh, blockchain as a data aggregation platform. So um, so as a horizontal integ uh, integration, which means that we have currently in the broader climate area um, in, an insane amount of actors that need to collaborate. So we have like the national level, which are almost 200 countries that have committed. Um, but then we have a very great number of non-stake and sub-national actors. So we can, could see that in the US when uh, they dropped out of the Paris Agreement, there were still regions and cities committed to it. And the same is, is applicable all over the world. And then we have corporates that are um, more and more have to report on um, ESG accounting so that they show their environmental footprint. Um, and that is all data and action that we also need to achieve because the national action as such won't be sufficient to bring us to the to the levels with, that we need. But 
Um, but coordinating action between these actors is currently impossible because we don't have uh, a shared information or a shared understanding or even the data that is collected at the different level is very different. So we are comparing apples to, to oranges and, and probably something way more far out. So we don't even have a, a shared language between us to coordinate that. And that is something that um, is, is also a very cumbersome pro process at the moment. So the way it is currently envisioned in the carbon or in the climate space is that we have a so-called global stack, stock take, which is, I think, the first time will take place in 2024. And then from that on every five years and there, every country in the world submits a report to the UNFCCC, which is the secretariat that kind of unites all of the, the actors and all of the national action. Um, and this process takes up to three years to process and costs half a, uh, half a billion US dollars in the making. And, um, and our vision of the systems that we want to create is that um, we are living in a digital age now and we are expecting every corporate in the world, for example, to report on ESG on a quarterly basis. So why don't we use that as a time frame, and why don't we try to design systems that have kind of closer to real-time data availability so that we can see and aggregate all the data in one shared platform so that we can see all the time, like, are we on track with, with our climate goals? Where are we? Um, who is doing what? Um, rather than yeah, coming together every five years and then seeing that, oh, no, we didn't achieve our targets. Okay, yeah, but we all promised to be better in five years when someone else is in charge. Um, that is not how we achieve that. That's not how we um, kind of share, uh, like create an accountability between actors. And so we need to reconsider how our systems are designed going forward so that we can comply with, with our uh, climate goals. Mm -hmm. so, so blockchain merges as a key technology to, I, I like this as an aggregator, uh, data aggregation platform, because mm -hmm. there's so much verification that has to occur and accounting that has to occur to... I mean, essentially, I mean, let me simplify, drive carbon emissions lower. So burning of rainforests or car emissions or heating from homes, investment to energy efficiency, uh, all these things produce data and data points that need to be verified. And this can be then fed into a, a, some kind of blockchain platform. And for example, credits can be given out money it could be connected to money or just even connected to stating that they are fulfilling a goal in this one specific area. I mean, essentially it's a huge, it connects all this data that's being produced already, but from your perspective, it connects it to a key platform that then awards automatically these, I don't know, it could be credits or, or whatever it is. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of. I wouldn't call it like one platform. Um, mm -hmm. I think it is more an interconnected architecture. So at the moment, we have a lot of fragmented systems that don't talk to each other, really. And the idea is blockchain can on multiple levels act as kind of like an interconnecting layer in between. But the idea is, yeah, that we at some point have like a, a portal um, or something where we can see what's the what's the score on the on the climate agenda today. That that mm -hmm. is. And yeah. Um, that is what we want to achieve. Uh, the exact architecture, how it looks, will be a lot of different systems that are interconnected and automatically interact with each other. And now blockchain, yeah, is, is a key technology, but also something just like uh, APIs or something that you already use when you do internet technology that automatically data is connected from one system to another so that you can extract it. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and then this ties into, um, I liked your phrase in, the, in your thesis about garbage in, garbage out syndrome in blockchain. Because, yeah. And this is essential, right, for the success of, of, of the technology or to connect these different, different data points or data sets uh, into, into some, yeah, maybe not unified, but decentralized kind of network that, that works together is how do you ensure that it's not garbage data? What, what, isn't that almost mm-hmm. impossible or uh, it requires a lot of investment? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like the the biggest challenge that blockchain generally as a technology is facing um, that. And I think um, that's also why I rather frame it as a technology stack rather than just saying blockchain as such, because as I said, I think something like IoT sensors um, and uh, yeah. What are IoT sensors? um, Internet of Things sensors. So devices Mm -hmm. that like smart devices, everything that's called smart uh, these days has kind of sensoric data uh, collectors. Um, and yeah, for example, a, a smart meter um, would be like a perfect example for that. Or also just uh, satellite data um, can be also something where the satellite connects data. But so yeah, exactly. This car- garbage in, garbage out problem is the the main limitation of blockchain. And um, in the blockchain space, it's called Oracle problem. So the the question generally, how does the blockchain interact with the real world, or how does the blockchain know that the data from the real world is true? Um, and yeah, that that is a, a very, like that's the multi-million-dollar question in a sense. Um, how to how to solve that and who to who to trust? Kind of providing that service as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there could be like even a certification process or organization that certifies the the quality of this data that's that's coming from a from something. Yeah, definitely. I think um, yeah, as I said earlier, like when you had these carbon credits before, you had also. Um, verifiers verifying institutions that had methodologies to think about how how can we trust this data and how can we make reliable estimates and how can we avoid the risk of greenwashing which is also like a a corporate question right um yeah so no i don't believe in greenwashing my my latest example was uh i took the kids to starbucks yesterday and we had paper straws they wanted a frappuccino so we got a paper straw but the whole but the glass itself was yeah. plastic, right? So yeah. plastic top and everything. So great, they don't have plastic straws, but the, everything <laughs> else is plastic. Yeah, I have I have a similar experience when I'm going to uh, my supermarket here in Denmark, and then they on the storefront they write like use your plastic bag over and over and over again, and then I'm doing that. I'm not even using a plastic bag, but then I'm coming home with a lot of things, and I at least. Like, I think I have like 20 uh, plastic bags in terms of like just the, the weight of plastic um, that I'm bringing home with me just from wrapping of, of the things. And yeah, it is very short-sighted or it's very superficial that we try to make an action and then everyone is celebrating it a bit and everyone is okay, but it's not. Um, and I think it's, it's the same when we speak about climate action. I think we're thinking a bit about like, yeah, we're doing a bit of offsetting here um, and it is really just painting it and then everyone gets peace. But I think we are in an emergency situation and we need to do a lot more than just doing a 1% action and, and celebrating that. Um, yeah. it, is, it is about thinking bigger and really like, yeah, making it, making us holding us accountable. And then we come back to kind of like the data questions that, um, that we're discussing here. And, and, and then let, let me shift a little bit. I mean, my, my question is, what's the... Because, for example, we're giving very specific examples for companies. And 
if a company was interested in tracking their, their data and because I mean, companies and businesses are central for this, uh, mm-hmm. reducing our environmental impact, how, and there's like a private and public, uh, system. And I would imagine for, for companies, they're more interested. I'm, I'm just guessing it depends what it is, but, but mm-hmm. one key area would be a private, um, blockchain network. And, and to track their, for example, yeah, you bring up KPIs, which a, a company would know about. Um, mm-hmm. And how, 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 how is a private network built up over time between firms in, I would say, one sector or interconnected sectors, since we're talking about sustainability and the environment and there's all these overlaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think here it's also important to understand kind of what the status quo is. And um, if we speak about like the carbon assessment and then the carbon disclosure project um, is kind of like the the status quo at the moment where companies fill in um, like an Excel sheet uh, in terms of like what what climate footprint do they have? And it's self-reported data. So that's an issue. Uh (laughs) We're doing great Um, because we have paper straws. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so I think the future here is, like you said, it's uh, it's a more of a private um, blockchain. And then we also have new applications of blockchain that enable, for example, zero knowledge proofs, which is um, a new feature. And the the rationale behind that is, for example, if I uh, if I'm at a bar and I want to drink, um, like all I need to prove is that I am older than 18 or 21 years old, but I still have to show my ID to the bartender, for example. Um, so how do I design a system where I can confirm, where, where I somehow can show that I am 20 years, uh, 21 years or older without having to f- disclose my entire private uh, details? And zero-knowledge proof is a technology that enables that, that you have oracles, again, like um, validators that can somehow prove, um, that can confirm that I am 21 years older or not. Um, and then they they issue a certificate on the blockchain, for example, and I can show that certificate to the to the bartender rather than having to show my ID. Um, so it's kind of like the same logic for the company as well that they don't have to pr- um, provide any sensitive data, um, which would be a competitive disadvantage also. So it's important to be mindful of that, but that they can still show like these uh, climate action was somehow certified, and we can track to exactly like what climate action does it refer to? So we can go very granular in the data and then we can confirm single data points. Um, and then we can aggregate all of these data points into like an aggregated certified data point in a sense um, that doesn't disclose any individual sensitive data anymore, but we just get kind of like, we can confirm um, that this entire mass of data is correct. Um, and that is a very big step towards uh, going forward, right? Because um, yeah, companies won't, um, they on the one hand side again they have this pressure from the ESG reporting side that they have to show that they are greener, but then also there are competitive disadvantages if they don't disclose too much. And there are blockchain and a private blockchain where you can specifically document um, what kind of data at what level is accessible to whom is a very big selling point um, mm-hmm. then going forward. So and these oracles sound like a key part of the new infrastructure or the network. And who uh, who gets appointed as an oracle? How do you become an oracle? That sounds like an interesting job. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's still kind of to be decided. Um, I think in the in the Paris Agreement that is yeah something that that will be negotiated and kind of also what are the methodologies, for example, for becoming an oracle? 
And yeah, historically, we have had designated operational entities um, that were working as verifiers. Then we have institutions like Gold Standard, for example, that, that is their, their business model or to kind of certify that. Um, and that is something that we will have to figure out. But there we also don't, we don't have the ultimate rules in place right now for the kind of future design of carbon markets. So yeah, we, we have to see and we have to solve problems there. Um, in the cryptocurrency space, we have um, like a company that's called Chainlink now, which is like the dominant Oracle provider for uh, decentralized finance DeFi applications. So these are thinking about, and for example, if I have to determine the Bitcoin price, like which source of the Bitcoin price do I, do I trust? They are, I can choose like one exchange or something, but that can be exploited also. Then someone can go to that exchange, sell a lot of Bitcoin, drive the Bitcoin price down on this local exchange, but the overall price of Bitcoin is, is a lot higher than indicated by this exchange. So even in that um, system, it is complicated, kind of like how do you construct and how, which, which sources do you trust? Which ones do you combine? How much? So that you get like a resilient indicator of like what is good data. Um, and that is for a digital asset, right? Bitcoin is a purely digital asset, but we are speaking about a digitally represented asset, like a, a carbon credit, for example, that exists in the real world. And there it's getting a lot more complicated to kind of, yeah, how, how to govern that, who to, how to select the validators, who can, whose data do we trust and who's able yeah, to, to issue certificates for certain actions. Um, and that, that is something that we have to develop and improve a lot going forward. Yeah. But Marco, then, I mean, I feel just in our conversation that came to mind that maybe we're at a new period of time and maybe I'll just narrow it to the financial system because you mentioned carbon credits, for example, and that's something that companies really know well, especially in the EU and other, we could say, markets where, yeah, their carbon credits cost them money when they're not investing, for example, in energy efficiency or they're using too many of their credits and they have to buy it. So it has a huge financial implication on the company itself. Then we're, we're at this maybe tipping point where we could look at the Bretton Woods system, which was the financial system established, you know, post-World War II. And maybe this, uh, I don't want to exaggerate, but, you know, this virtual, I don't even say currency, but this virtual world where everything is digits, it's all this, we're, we're having a very abstract conversation, but it has these real world financial implications for companies and environmental impacts for, for everybody um, it, it, and who becomes an oracle or how oracles are, are organized or interconnected in the network. It's almost this new, if we can look at the Bretton Woods system of this previous um, financial architecture and network, this looks like it's an emerging new network and financial arrangement. Am I exaggerating or is this kind of all right? to think it think of it this way I, I really like that comparison yeah and i think we already see like the evolution of a new financial system so like um like bitcoin created a totally new form of money that was never uh, uh, possible before like always you had like a sovereign country for example or a central bank um yeah issuing a currency and it was packed to that and now yeah we, we just created a network with kind of like, yeah, computer based on computer code and of a totally decentralized network of actors that just create a social consensus and then issue something new. And um, I think that is also yeah transferable into, um, yeah, in, into that, that carbon world. And generally, I think we are transitioning into a world where 
most of what we are uh, or a lot of the things that we are doing now are happening in the or represented in the digital well well uh well and i think yeah we, we are kind of like going through this digital transition um and yeah i think it, it is a really really big thing and i mean that's also why i called it like uh or the question mark of my of my thesis was is blockchain a radical innovation um and that applies to a lot of different sectors that might get yeah disrupted in in that sense but we also don't know. I mean, we are at the same time, we are very early stage. So if we look at something like Ethereum, that's a, a cryptocurrency, which is kind of like the foundation of what blockchain uh, is, is framed at now, that's a technology that is five years old. Um, and and then Ethereum is currently going through a big transition from Ethereum 1.0 to 2.0, and no one knows how it looks like. So blockchain is still a very, very evolving um area and uh, yeah so it will be interesting where that um, brings us and i think on the other side like the climate space what i said earlier is that um it has been always the same since i started like over the last 20 years climate uh, logic uh, climate systems have been always the same um and kind of combining these two like the the one rapidly evolving super innovative space and then the the very like political and slow and uh, yeah, I think I, I'll stop there. But they, they are kind of like approaching from two different um, dimensions. But I think that's also why blockchain in a sense and innovation generally is very relevant because we need to speed up the process for climate. If we want to comply with our climate goals, we have less than 10 years um, continuing. And where if we see what we have achieved over the last 20 years, uh, that's not bringing us anyone so anywhere. So we have to reconsider the design of our systems and how we approach this and um, and move faster um, and yeah then also being able to scale action is is essential for that mm -hmm. and then this this ties into uh, yeah because it is abstract and it's it's i would say out of the realm of of ordinary people and at the same time all our efforts uh, whether where we go shopping where we go and have a coffee you know I impact and shows where we spend our money um what i'm trying to bring this into and kind of understand is how democratic is blockchain technology because it is all digits and everything and, and many people okay we we have our smartphones and i guess probably that's the best way we live in the digital world we we have our maps and you know our vibers and and our, our communication means which are in one sense, abstract. I like your analogy at the beginning, where we, yeah, we use the internet, but we don't quite understand how it works, right? <laughs> and and but but we we realize that you know when we use our phones and our computers, and it's in our everyday life. And does is blockchain though? I mean, it it sounds and we talk about oracles. I love that word. And but <laughs> is it is it this almost undemocratic system that's developing or but? there's an argument that blockchain is actually uh, contributing towards democracy. Can you explain that connection? Yeah, I, I would rather say like, or maybe I can rephrase it. Please. Um, do you yes. think our current systems are very democratic? Would you call them democratic? No. Um, if you look at our know. political systems or also as you as an individual participating in climate change, for example, or in the energy system, do you do you feel that is democratic? No, it's completely not democratic. I just wrote a book and it's not democratic. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere in that book do I write energy is democratic or 
And it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's our yeah. starting. I like our starting point <laughs> of we live in a democratic world, and let's just uh, let's start the discussion there. That's good. Okay. So, and I think then um, to to pivot from that, I think blockchain systems can be a lot more democratic. So, for example, if you look at Bitcoin, I don't actually. I'm I'm tired of using Bitcoin as an example because I think Bitcoin and blockchain often gets confused. So please, listeners, don't do that. It's two different things, but Bitcoin is still kind of like the most proven use case and application. So that's why I'm using Bitcoin as an example. So Bitcoin is the most democratic form of money that we have ever seen. Um, like, like I said, like the, the fiat systems like the US dollar is in the, in the control, in the absolute control of one central entity. Um, and that's, that's the same for every fiat currency in the world. Whereas Bitcoin, everyone is participating in the system and um, you have a social consensus that there are only 21 million. So you have you can decide if you want to join the network, but if you get it um, or if you if you buy into it, everyone is kind of equal. There's no one no one entity that can just determine what's happening next. Um, and I think we can expand that also towards other systems. So for example, if we use the energy system, right now we we can maybe choose how we source energy or something. I'm, I'm not even familiar with that, but. So one very powerful application there is peer-to-peer energy trading, which not necessarily has to be based on blockchain, but I think the, the most advanced projects out there are based on blockchain now. Um, and if you, if you look at them, um, they are like, if, if I have a house and a solar panel and a battery, I can interact with the grid and I can trade locally with, with my neighbors. And that is a very much more democratic um, and decentralized approach than what I would get normally. Um, and then, yeah, if we um, if we speak about carbon, um, we don't know yet how the oracle will uh, oracles will be designed. But in theory, at least everyone has access to all the data, so I can go and look at a specific project. If I want to buy a carbon credit, I have the full availability of the entire data point, so I can go back in the history and see where this climate action was conducted, and I can see the GPS data. I can see which methodology was used, who was the issuer. Um, and everything else I'm basically interested in. I don't have that option at the moment um, at all. It's, it's, it's a black box and you have fragmented information. So I can decide what kind of credit I want to buy and kind of use that as, a, as an economic incentive for it. And I might in the future even be able to, to act as a validator. So for example, if I am somewhere in, in a developing country and there is a forest uh, project, I can go to the forest and confirm that the forest still exists um so so in a sense you can you can uh, democratize data collection a lot more um again there is huge uncertainty on how we we are going to design it but there are basically no 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 boundaries anymore of um also of the number of individuals that can contribute to it and yeah it's it's, it's getting very complicated there but i think at least we have we open the system up a lot more to make it more democratic than what we have right now mm-hmm. but uh, what you just said builds on what we mentioned a few minutes about about garbage in garbage out because once it incentivizes cleaner data more accurate data uh and then yeah if you're aggregating or you're looking at an aggregation platform where whatever right there's all this data you as if you want to sell these credits or do something right you can choose which which um, blocks, right, to, to draw from and to use? No, ideally not. Um, cool. I don't okay. Think I, like, ideally, 
um, mm-hmm. with with an oracle. An oracle is designed that it triangulates data. So, for example, um, uh, yeah, you can use different data sources, and you have to harmonize them. So, so for example, if you look at forestation, you do, you want to go with satellite data. Um, you want to maybe have um, like a, a certified entity that can go there and document and do the, the methodologies that are currently used. And then you can also incentivize or include the local community or different communities that can also go there and confirm. And ideally, you achieve consensus between like multiple of these entities. So two out of three or or you can even scale it up a lot more. So there is like oracles should never be in, in the power of like a centralized organization. But you want to create an oracle based on different data streams that are independent and that you can triangulate data so that it is coherent. And if not, you have to go there and or you have to figure it out. Um, but that raises red flags, whereas at the moment, data collection for example, in the carbon space, you trust a centralized entity that there is only one. Um, and yeah, you have the potential to kind of like diversify that now. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, I, uh, I'm processing that. Yeah. <laughs> so because my, my idea was that you as let ju- let's just say I own a coffee shop, right? And I like mm-hmm. to use plastic cups <laughs> and I need to find a way to offset my plastic use. So I could find, I would say, well, I want to buy some credits from, I want to buy some credits based on a scheme that involved in re- reforestation in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. I, could, I could go to a platform that has aggregated that data and certifies that these credits match two out of three criteria because they've been verified out of from two entities out of three entities. And so they're verifiable, clean credits and I could buy mm-hmm. those yeah. or I could resell them in fact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that is already what happens now. If you look for carbon offsets that are kind of like providers that, that do exactly that. Um, I think if you would want to integrate a blockchain solution, you could also then look into the specific credit um, and then look at the entire history. So you could kind of like go down more. So you would not only trust the the provider, but you could also track the history yourself. Um, and then what, what the blockchain idea is also is that uh, it, it, it addresses the double counting risk. So meaning that, for example, if I or if, if you, the, the coffee store owner, buys the credits from another country uh, and then you use that to offset your emissions, like for example um yeah in let's say in germany um so then you you document that to germany and then germany reduces their or said that that you have done something and that also reduces the national emissions but then the risk is that the the african country where you got that carbon credit from is also using that for the national so it's it's used for like achieving two goals so that's that's a very big risk and that is why you need to harmonize the different systems with each other so that the German uh, uh, accounting system and the African accounting system and um, the entity that kind of like sells the, the carbon credit, that all of these systems are speaking together. And currently, they don't. Not at all. Um, so so, so double dipping. Yeah, exactly. And that's that has happened in history. And um, yeah, and, and that's that's a very big issue going yeah. forward. And that's why we need the different systems to talk to each other. 
So, so to make it more democratic, because I could just not only inform my customers that I'm supporting a rainforest community uh, by protecting their trees, because I've paid to protect their trees, but I could actually, because it's so granular and verified on the ground, I could show pictures of this community yeah. and those people that benefit from my customers buying plastic cups. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that has a lot more credibility than if you just go to a homepage and say, yeah, <laughs> sure, I, I'll just I'll just buy that one. Exactly. It has a lot more. And um, that's also kind of like uh, the question is a bit then in token design or something, or how do you issue that that unit so you can represent um, uh, as a credit like that as a token. And on this token, you can uh, include a lot of metadata. And um, I don't know if, if pictures would be too big. Probably yes, but you can ingrain a lot of different data on it. So you have a lot more information generally and a lot more transparency. And that's like transparency and integrity is like key terms in the in the global climate agenda. So how do you make sure that, that to, to increase that? And by collecting more data and being able to, to trace it entirely, you create that. Okay. And who's going to pay for this? That's my simple question. <laughs> How, is it is it or and actually it goes to one of the questions I, I wrote out. Uh, is it this organic um, evolution, which maybe we could describe it so far, which it has been. But when you bring about the climate, I would say architectural system, governance system that's being built and has been built over the past 20, 30 years, should should governments or these NGOs or what, the Paris Agreement, you know, people basically should be uh, driving block some kind of blockchain um, system forward for for yeah helping reduce the the emissions. Mm. Yeah, that's an excellent question, and I mean that's also what my uh, PhD thesis was discussing quite a bit. Like, how do we get this adopted? Um, so, like the first step was to establish yeah blockchain is useful, but then the second question is like how do we innovate the system and who should be the innovator and how do we get it adopted? Um, and that's a really complicated question. So um, my previous research and what I've been doing with my projects was mainly at the national level. So really thinking about how national accounting systems can be integrated with each other. But then nations um, and administrations are not known for like being speedy and, and innovative. Um, so they have like a tendency for incrementalism. Um, and yeah, the question is then how, what other actors and my, my Personal uh, research is going more into the direction of non-state actors, now of corporates and of uh, organizations that are better funded and also have more technological capabilities. I mean, if we are speaking about nations, probably half of all countries in the world have not uh, proper experience with kind of like doing this, this proper climate accounting um, because that wasn't required of them before. And we, we are starting to design these systems, but um, there is very low capacity. Um, so I think... In general, we need to create the system in a very co-creative approach so that a lot of actors are engaged at all times. But we are currently going more outside of the national system, but in consultation with the national processes um, so that, yeah, there is no one kind of left out and everyone agrees on a design. Um, and then, yeah, who pays for it? Uh, I think that is also uh, like multiple answers to that. So I think like there are clear savings and benefits with blockchain. So you also save money, like we said, with yeah transaction cost and automation. Um, and then also just yeah creating these reporting mechanisms is a lot cheaper than what we are currently doing. So there are clear cost savings with it. 
Um, and then, yeah, it is it is a global infrastructure. So I think definitely national parties need to be part of that because we don't want to trust that like our our railroads are owned by the private sector. Really, I mean, we see that already when when it comes to Facebook, for example, which has a lot of issues and and other tech giants. So I don't want to single them out, but we we don't want to privatize too much of that data because it is something that like we as as countries and as as an international community need to do. So I think like infrastructure should be mainly uh, in the public sector um, and well-funded. And and I think then also blockchain is still kind of like rapidly evolving. So it's not that I want to shift everything to blockchain tomorrow. That's that's not my approach. I think it is something that we've shown is relevant and now we want to develop it over time. And we can also integrate current architectures and make them compatible with blockchain. So we can develop blockchain on the side and then make sure that they are compatible with with the current architecture so that we can build on it and then kind of harmonize more and more of the system and kind of like glue it all together in a sense through blockchain so that's so and there will be a lot of kind of like um, very iterative development processes and very agile on trying kind of like how can we combine this piece and this piece now and how do we take this piece then and and then this piece um, and that will go over time and um, and so it's not one architect architecture that needs to be financed, but a lot of li different components. And then hopefully we get different actors to see the value of, of the different ones and then, um, yeah, provide funding for that. Yeah. And I mean, I like, it's a very good explanation. And I'm wondering about the growth of the expertise in this area then. And you, you've seen this over the few years that you you took to do your PhD then from from starting out when hardly any information was there and i'm not saying there's a lot of information but how do you how do you what's your sense of the amount of training and the number of people going into this area of blockchain and understanding it and helping to implement it has that grown over time or is there still a tr tremendous demand for people with knowledge like yours yeah i think there is still a tremendous um yeah, requirement for that. And we recently conducted a study where we asked like national actors, um, what do you think about blockchain? Do you like it? Um, and if you like it, like, what is your adoption approach? Or um, what's your next step? And what are the barriers to blockchain adoption? And their limited capacity was the most, by far the most, uh, yeah, dominant uh, limitation of what is out there. So, um, yeah, most countries, as I mentioned, don't even have like the the capacities to do legacy accounting. Um, and now we come up with these fancy technologies. Um, and the first reaction is always like, oh no, let's not make it too complicated. But I think the argument that we are developing now is to think more about leapfrogging. So we don't want to develop like these cumbersome legacy systems again, but we can transition into something new potentially, or we should at least um, consider that. So yeah, there, there is, um, and then I think my role is, is quite unique in the sense that I'm, I, I see myself like as a translator um, between two worlds. So I'm, I have my knowledge of the climate community and then I have a certain understanding of the, of what blockchain can be used for at least. I'm not a, a technical programmer or anything, but kind of understanding what blockchain is good at and what it makes sense for. And then um, combining that with the requirements, what the climate community um, yeah, needs. Uh, so that's my specific niche. And I think that is a, a very, important role to have. And I think there are too few people that are actually working on that. Um, and then also there are so many application areas where this becomes relevant. So it doesn't have to be the climate or sustainability area. Um, 
but then on the other side, like the te blockchain technology space is, is growing like crazy and there is a lot of uh, technical talent going in there. Um, so that is really amazing to see. And then there is also a lot of capital flowing into it. The, the VC space is evolving like crazy. If you look at academic literature, that is exploding. Um, yeah, so I think there is a lot of growth, um, but we still need a lot more. Um, and we are still in a, in a phase where we have to kind of like determine what blockchain is, is still good for. And then also like blockchain is, is a changing term um, or an evolving term of what, what new features come up and what should be used. Um, and that is a, yeah, a very evolving discussion um, going forward. Okay, great. And uh, I have one more uh, question for, or maybe we should br bring this to a close. And one of the issues that we haven't uh, talked about is the energy consumption, because if this this uh, technology is taken off, just like you outlined, and more and more interest is in, in it, uh, and more uses of it, but at the same time, uh, the headlines, at least, especially when it comes to uh, cryptocurrencies, is the amount of energy consumption that's being used and even using coal-fired power plants to power computers uh, to mine more uh, tokens. Can you explain why there is so much energy consumption going on? Is this just blockchain currencies or, or cryptocurrencies? Or is this inherent to the blockchain technology itself as a large, or I'd just say energy use. I, didn't even, I don't want to label it as large or small, but... Can you describe the energy consumption that goes into creating these these tokens or the what it is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mean, generally, um, it depends on kind of the consensus mechanism of the network. So um, Bitcoin is based on the proof of work consensus mechanism, which means that it is run by uh, miners, which are called miners, um, uh, and these miners are computing and computational power with each other. And the more uh, computational power they provide to the network, the higher their chance of a reward is. And the reward would be then transaction fees and new Bitcoins that are kind of block rewards um, towards that. So miners have an inherent incentive of increasing their computational power. Um, and computational power is then like the aggregate or the, the sum of uh, the, the hardware that they have like the best mining software, which are ASIC miners. Um, but then energy is like the second uh, critical component. Um, and here, um, so so I think um, like energy is basically the biggest cost component um, for for like Bitcoin miners. And so they have a, a national in, or the an inherent incentive of reducing their energy cost and kind of like that should ideally in a, in a good market mechanism should um, kind of lead them towards renewable energy or also stranded energy assets um, that, that are kind of the lowest uh, cost energy sources. So you have a lot of miners that are going into Iceland to mine on hydro and where the cooling is cheap. Um, so the big Bitcoin grid already became a lot more green. And I think currently um, we are trying to get better data on that. And there was recently formed like a Bitcoin mining cartel where Elon Musk was part of and a lot of other known kind of crypto figures. And I think um, that shows and they, they want to disclose their, their data, at least for like US um, miners. And there they show that already like 40% of the energy consumed is green. So it's it's a lot more green than the, the current grid. So it is something that hopefully it keeps improving and China just banned mining, so which was very coal um, fired. And then it, it, we, we have to see where the miners are migrating to. So generally, um, 
I hope that Bitcoin will become greener, but it is also a problem that is absolutely inherent to Bitcoin. So um, when we are looking at the blockchain architectures that I try to describe here, um, these are systems that are very different from, from Bitcoin and proof of work mining. Um, so we already see that um, Ethereum is transitioning into a proof of stake algorithm where um, like they are not called miners anymore, but they are called validators. And there you just stake your Ethereum tokens, which are kind of like equity tokens in the network. And then these stakers determine kind of like who's uh, or what, what block gets added to the network rather than computational power and proof of work. And that's uh, already like a uh, consensus mechanism that is um, a lot more efficient in energy con or a lot lower in energy consumption. Um, efficient is, is correct, like you said, and it, it shouldn't be like about efficiency or not. I mean, it, it depends on what you want to achieve. Um, so, so it, we already see like different consensus mechanism evolving, and then we have a lot of other cryptocurrencies and blockchains that run on different consensus mechanisms that also want to be more scalable and yeah, and, and more green in a sense as well. Um, and specifically for the systems that we are looking at, um, we are generally looking at more permission systems uh, generally, um, and there, like the the validators of the network, they don't have to compete necessarily, but there, it is often more that you determine who are the network validators. Like, for example, in the climate agenda, you would appoint every country in the world is running a climate node of the system. So every country that provides climate data in the system, they also should run a node so that they have access to the network and can interact with the network. And they, these nodes are not competing or there is no transaction fees necessarily with that. So, so there is no inherent yeah, uh, way of competing between them and that also means that energy, they, they don't compete through energy, like like bit, uh, in Bitcoin is the case. So these systems are a lot more, um, yes, scalable and then also have lower energy profiles, uh, uh, like very much um, comparable to the data management systems that we have. Mm. So we should shift the discussion going forward and see it as this is early stage technology. It's being developed over time and the energy consumption there's already solutions to the energy consumption, high energy consumption, and it will be reduced over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also basically what you alluded to a bit is that innovation um, initially, the, the new technology is um, not necessarily better or it has, has trade-offs and then it matures over time. And at some point it kind of disrupts at a, at a certain point. And uh, the question is also like, where are we at that time of, technological um, solution and at what time are we better than the status quo and um, and yeah we, we we have to mature over time and uh, these these things hopefully develop over time and I think also with Bitcoin it's a totally different question of how that might but I think it is also getting an increasing concern for for people to see that on the other side and so at least it needs to get greener and probably there could be also, I don't know how it actually works with the Bitcoin community, if they would be willing to shift a consensus mechanism. But we see that, for example, Ethereum is doing that for, for some similar reasons. So it can be that it also matures in that way. Um, or on the other side, I think it is also a fair price to pay in a sense for Bitcoin. Um, and I think that's about what you said with efficiency, because Bitcoin creates something that competes with a national currency. And if you look at, for example, the uh, the carbon footprint of the US dollar, um, we can't really quantify that. But if you think about what components does it have, it has like all the banking buildings, which are the biggest and the fanciest buildings in the in the center of the city. And then we have the transport of, um, of gold, for example, that 
yeah, is, is part of the central bank uh, treasury. Then we have the army um, that is there to enforce and secure the, the governance system and the currency. And, and if you uh, like consider these factors, Bitcoin is a very efficient um, kind of like currency in that way. So you also need to be aware of what you are comparing it to. But of course, also, if you don't think that this digital magical internet money has any value, then um, yeah, then it, then it is energy wasted. But you, um, it is about kind of like comparing it and seeing, and if you understand or if you see the, uh, the, the also agreeable subjective value of this. Yes. So, I mean, you have to consider, yeah, what, what is it replacing or what is it doing instead of something else? And the, we'll just even sense call them legacy currencies, right? And, and the, the infrastructure, the bank buildings, I love that, right? And people, how people get to work and just fulfill their jobs. Moving money around is highly energy intensive in many, many aspects of it. Or gold mining. I mean, yes. we also have to dig that stuff out of the ground, right? Yeah, right. and, and environmentally damaging, just gold yeah. mining itself. So we have this yeah. shift of, I like the terminology though, oracles, miners, right? Like all these, <laughs> these new, it's like dystopia in, in the future, yeah. but, but it's emerging now. The futurist comes back. <laughs> what? The, the futurist. Yeah, um, futurist. Yeah, exactly, right? It's your, it's your title. You're the earth futurist, which is maybe earth and digital futurist is a, is a better, better, better title. Okay, okay uh, I, I want to I wrap up uh, our, our conversation now. This has been fantastic. But my, my question to you, like to others, is maybe not what's the energy system look like to you in 2050, but maybe what does blockchain technology uh, look to you in 2050? What, what does it look like? Uh, so I hope that we are living in a, in a world where um, decision-making is a lot more decentralized, um, like, like we also spoke about. Um, I don't feel that I have a, a specific say and a spe specific uh, part in, in our democracy uh, or in our um, democratic systems anymore. And I would like to be more active in that. And I want uh, for that, I think we need like real time data so that we have like better information for ourselves, but then that we also can provide feedback um, on, a, on a more interactive basis. So I want at some point that I can make informed consumer decisions, like which credits I can buy, which products I can buy, um, and through that uh, incentivize the people. And, um, and I think then also how we spend our money is probably our, uh, or how we are also investing our money is I think our um, most important tool. I think it's more important than than going voting at the moment is how you, how you spend your money that you are aware of like the implications that you have. And I think. For that, we have very limited data when it comes to yeah evaluating a company or a product or whatever. And I, I hope that in the future we will have better access um, to to data in in real time, and then we can interact with that, um, so that we can create like the carbon neutral systems that we need by 2050. Because if we are not carbon neutral by that time, we will live in a terrible world um, that will be not comparable to the to the world that we are living in right now. So. Um, kind of the creating the systems that we need to to arrive there that is what what i'm spending my time on and what i see as kind of like my calling here and where i see my impact and so yeah that is kind of like where where we can price environmental externalities effectively based on on quality data that is available so that's a very systematic approach but i think i hope that that kind of like shows where where i want to go with what i'm doing yeah, no, absolutely. Right. I mean, invest your time and 
replace these older inefficient systems. Now that we have all this data, we have all these interconnections like we had talked about at the beginning, and then it comes around and we have this data about how to, how to connect it up, right? And how to incentivize in a monetary sense, even uh, these connections and prompt further change. And I like this idea of the aggregation platforms as, as a means to prompt that, but then blockchain technology, whether that's in carbon credits or in cryptocurrencies or whatever it is, some kind of token, right? Uh, yeah. that, that it prompts businesses and, and people to change and it's verifiable. And actually, as we discussed, it connect, can connect communities together through verification and understanding these, these both abstract connections, but they actually hold real world connections as well. I, I don't want to to be like the blockchain guy. I think that's like um, I think when you when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So I don't want to come to every problem and, and use the blockchain to solve it. But I think um, basically I outlined the system how I want to see it, and it doesn't have to be on blockchain. It's not the only component. It can be a valuable tool, but we have to think about how we create these systems and then finding technological solutions for it. And also like your your favorite new term, the oracle. Like how do we construct these? Um, so yeah, that's 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 the the very big question, and um, so it, it, it's not only blockchain that can solve all of that, but um, there are a lot of different factors that need to to come together for that. Yes, actually, that's going to be my new job as an oracle. I have to look into that. <laughs> that just sounds like fun. Okay, <laughs> Marco, thank you very much for coming on to the My Energy Twenty Fifty podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. It was a pleasure, and uh, it was really great to go in so many different directions. And I hope, um, yeah, uh, your listeners find value in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make the transition. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.